Good morning. My name is Tiffany McMahon, and I'm going to be reading God's Word this morning. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Thank you, Tiffany, and good morning again to everybody. Uh, if you weren't here earlier in the service when I, I greeted everybody, I want to greet you now. Welcome to Greater Hope today being the first Sunday in 2019. Uh, we're, we're setting aside this morning in our service and after in our lunch, and we're calling it a Vision Sunday. Uh, and the reason for that is we want to get we want to get a vision. Now, what is a vision? One, one writer says this: a vision is a picture of what God wants you to be and do. A vision is a picture of what God wants you to be and do. It doesn't have to be some kind of mystical thing that you get in your dreams or that you black out and see something that God tells you, but it's just that assurance in your heart that God, through his word, by his Holy Spirit, has communicated to you a clear picture of exactly who you are to be as an individual, what kind of family you're to have, uh, and for us as a community, what our church is to be like in this second year of our existence. Now, I realize you, you may be here today and you're not sure what you believe. You're not even sure if you believe in God, maybe. Um, you Certainly, maybe you're not committed to being a part of a church. Well, there's something here for you to hear this morning. I want you to imagine, just imagine this morning with us that there is a God and that God who made you and who sustains everything, when he thinks of you, he doesn't draw a blank. When he thinks of you, he doesn't shrug his shoulders and say, yeah, I don't really have, I don't have anything when it comes to that. I don't, I don't have any ideas when it comes to that person. Now, actually, what, what this passage is telling us and what, what really is written all throughout the Bible is that when you come into God's mind, no matter who you are, whether you believe in him or not, when, when you come into his mind, he has plenty of ideas. He has plenty of plans. God is a God full of purpose for each and every one of us in how we live our lives. And so this morning, we're trying to get that purpose. We're trying to get a clear sense of at least one part of that vision. Uh, there in, in Matthew 5, which Tiffany read a piece of from us, Jesus himself, this is called the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7. Jesus is telling us clearly what he wants every single follower of his to be like. In other words, Jesus in this sermon is giving us a vision, a God-drawn, a God-shaped picture of what our lives are to be. At the very beginning of chapter 5, before our reading this morning, Jesus makes a point. You are blessed by God if you're a follower of Christ. You have the blessing of God behind you. That, that famous passage is called the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and so on and so forth. But then right after, notice the transition. You are blessed by God. That's God's vision. But then you are sent out into the world. You're sent out into the world to make a difference with the blessing that he's poured out on you. That's the vision of God for us. Jesus uses this picture of salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are blessed by God and then sent out into the world to make a difference right where you are. That's what we want to talk about this morning. There are three things that I want to talk with you through. If you'll look at your worship bulletin, uh, you can see them outlined there for you. 
First of all, I want you to see uh, what it means to be salt and light. What does it mean? Secondly, I want you to see how it works. How does being salt and light work? And then thirdly, I want you to see how you and I can become salt and light. All right, so what does it mean? How does it work? And how can we become salt and light in 2019? Uh, first of all, what does it mean? Well, notice here, Jesus' words are so clear and, and clarifying, and that's what a vision does. A vision is a picture. Therefore, it, it makes something that isn't normally clear very clear. Uh, there in verses 13 and 14, at the very beginning, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And then in verse 14 at the beginning, you are the light of the world. I want you to notice a few things there. First of all, the word you that Jesus uses is not the singular you. It's the plural you. In other words, Jesus is saying, y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. He's speaking not just to one individual at a time, some isolated person here and there. He's speaking to the entire community of his followers. All those that were sitting there that day on the mountain, listening to Jesus and getting a vision 2,000 years ago. But I believe it's recorded here in the Bible because he wants all of his followers at all times as a community to also hear this instruction. Y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. Uh, One of the things we really believe by conviction here at Greater Hope is that you cannot follow Jesus. You cannot really walk in God's picture for your life, God's vision alone. You got to have other people around you. You cannot obey a y'all command with just a you. Isn't that right? You have to get together with other people in order to be what it is Jesus is saying that we together are supposed to be. This is Jesus' vision for us. The other thing I want you to notice is Jesus doesn't say, you might be the salt of the earth. He doesn't say, you might be the light of the world if you're into that kind of thing. No, Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. If you follow me and you've been blessed by God, as I've said throughout all those beatitudes, then guess what? You've you've already got an assignment. You've already got a job, whether you like it or not. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In other words, when we come to follow Jesus, we do not come alone. That's what we just saw. But we also don't come to someone who's just ready to rubber stamp what we already decided to do. When we come to follow Jesus, we don't come to one who just loves to pat us on the back and say, oh, how I love you, now do whatever you want to do. No, coming to Jesus, learning how to follow God, learning how to believe and trust in the gospel means that we are trading in our own personal vision and agenda for our life that we had before that, if we're honest, really isn't working anyway. And we trade that in for a vision and a purpose and a picture that only God can give us. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The third thing I want you to notice about what Jesus says here is he's giving us a picture that everybody can relate to. He's giving us a very simple picture. Two normal household commodities. Everybody in this room has salt and light in their house. Isn't that right? That was true back then as well. Probably even more so back then. Uh, In a time before refrigeration. In a time before, you know, electric lights. Salt and light were essential to every household. And here's this. I want you to catch it. Salt and light are not only essential, they were absolutely effective to change the environments they were put into. Here's here's what I mean by that. Uh, Salt back then was not just to give flavor, although we can all say amen to the joys of the flavor of salt, right? That's, That's a good thing. The reason why McDonald's fries are better than any other, perfect amount of salt, right? Flavor is right. But 
Salt was more important than that back then. It wasn't just, hey, I like how the food tastes. There was no refrigerator. Therefore, as soon as you butchered the cow, as soon as you had the meat ready, what did it start to do? It started to break down and decay. It didn't last very long at all. Most of the food didn't last very long at all. And so salt was the A number one preservative in Jesus' day. That they rubbed the salt into the rotting and decaying meat before it rotted and decayed. And it would greatly slow down. They would cure it in salt so that you could eat it weeks, maybe even months later. Sometimes even years later. That's how slowly it, it began to break down the decaying process. What is Jesus saying about his people? You are the salt of the earth. I've placed you where you are so that you can slow down the process of decay. So that you can bring flavor to the world around you, yes, but also so that you can slow down the process of rot around you. Also light, I mean, if you think about it, light back then when there were no electric lights, I mean, Jesus would have experienced this every day of his earthly life. When the sun went down, all the lights were out. You don't just flip them on. You have to put, you have to light a lamp full of oil and set it up on a stand in the middle of the house, just like he describes. Light was precious. People back then were busy like we are. They couldn't stop all their work when the sun went down, and so they needed light so desperately. Do you see? Jesus is picturing two everyday household commodities, which were absolutely essential and which were very effective to change the environment they were placed in. And then he's turning around and he's saying, that's what y'all are. My people and my followers, I mean, I don't know if you can get your mind around this, but Jesus is actually saying, we are in his mind necessary to his world. There's something necessary that we bring to the table. I don't know if you can get your mind around this either, but Jesus is actually saying, when we are placed by him and blessed by him into the environment where we live, we actually are supposed to make a difference. We actually are supposed to, in some way, change the environment around us. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is saying something that the Bible is saying all over from beginning to end. When God calls you to belong to him, he doesn't just call you into his family so that he can bless you and then it stops with you. I say this all the time around here. God blesses you on the way to blessing somebody else. God blesses his people so that his people can turn around and be a blessing to all the people in the world around them. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I want to, to, you to view the place where you're at not as an accident, but I want you to view the places where you're called to be as the place that God has put you so that you can extend the blessings that God has given you to the people that he's put around you. Y'all, we have to hear this today, uh, especially here where we live in, in Mulberry and Polk County. Sometimes, you know, we like to joke, you know, Mulberry and Polk County is just kind of, it, it's kind of nowhere. <laughs> it's not really that important. It's not really that valuable. That is absolutely positively not true. We got to stop talking like that because here's why god never gets the address wrong god never gets the address wrong ever he's never done it in all of history where he has placed you and where he's placed me is exactly where he wants me and exactly where he wants you and he has us here not just to sit around and collect blessings he has us here not just to sit around and get depressed he has us here so that we might be an essential game changer an essential life changer for other people and boy isn't it true doesn't our community like every other community need that doesn't our community need salt and light 
Isn't there decay and rottenness around us all the time? Where we live and where we work, where, where, we, where our kids go to school? Isn't there darkness in the darkest corners of our community? If you don't believe me, just go online this afternoon and look at just the last week's headlines in the ledger. Just look at them. It's full of abuse and death and depression and destruction and bad habits. And Jesus is saying, instead of you and I saying, hey, this place doesn't matter, I'm just passing through, I'm waiting here until I can move to a better place. Or instead of saying, yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to survive, I don't need to care about my neighbors. Or instead of complaining, I can't believe the world is as bad as it is. You know, everybody's going to hell in a handbasket. Instead of all that kind of stuff, we ought to be asking, where's the salt? <laughs> Where is the light? I mean, don't blame the meat for rotting. That's what meat does. Don't blame the darkness for being dark. That's what dark does, right? But salt and light, when we're called by Jesus to be present, active in the place in which he has placed us, has the opportunity by God's grace to actually begin to make a difference. I, I want to tell you all, as we turn from 2018 to 2019, that is the real measure of us as a church. That's the real measure of how we're doing, and, and that really is the real agenda going forward. One writer says it this way, better than I could say it, that the question that has to be asked, he says, about the church and about every congregation is not, how big is it? That's not the question. Not how fast is it growing, or not how rich is it. Those are not the appropriate questions. Here's the question. Is it making a difference to that bit of the world in which it is placed? Is it actually functioning as a picture for the world to see of God's new creation that he's bringing? Is it a picture for this part of the world that God has placed us in? Mulberry, Polk County, are we a picture that God actually is on the move and he's actually making all things new. Jesus is saying, that's what I want y'all to be. Salt and light. In a sense, over the top of every church, they ought to say, Jesus Christ, salt and light company. <laughs> because our entire business ought to be getting out where the, where the darkness is, getting out where the rot is, and standing up, speaking out, quietly, humbly serving our neighbors. Loving them where they are, showing them, hey, if God can love someone like me, he can love anybody. If I can get in on this, anybody can get in on this. That's the first thing this morning, what it, what it means. But secondly, I want you to see how it works. This is vitally important, how this works. Uh, Jesus, after he says, y'all are the salt of the earth, y'all are the light of the world, chooses to focus on two, of, two potential problems with salt and light. Uh, salt and light both have problems. Look at what it says there in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Well, again, Jesus lived in a different time. Back then, when you got salt, you got it freshly dug out of the ground, a big old rock. And sometimes that salt was contaminated with other things. Sometimes the, the, the true sodium properties had been washed away by, by years and years of, of, of rain and flooding and all those things. And so sometimes when you brought the salt home and started to try to use it, you would realize it was no good. It had ceased to have the actual properties of salt so that when you put it into the meat, it didn't stop the rot. When you put it on the french fries, it did not make them taste real good. It, it had lost 
its saltiness. Jesus is saying, if we are not really truly different than the environment in which we're placed, we're not going to actually be able to do what God has called us to do. We're not actually going to be able to walk in the picture of what God wants us to be. That's not the only thing. He says there's also a problem with light. He says, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And then neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Now, that's kind of a silly thing to even think about someone doing. And that's the point. Just like he says, if salt has lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing. A light that you light and place it under a basket or a bowl would not be able to give light to anybody. Jesus says instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone who is in the house. What's Jesus saying? Not only do we have to be really different in order to be salt and light, but we have to be really present. If the light gets hidden, if the light can't be seen by people within the darkness then the light might as well not even be lit, right? You might as well not have lit the lamp in the first place. It has to be put on display. And so right here, Jesus is trying to show us how our influence locally is meant to work. Our local influence as Christians and as a church is supposed to work by us really being present, truly present in a place, but also being really, truly, deeply different than that place in all the right ways. Just like salt is different than the rotting meat in all the right ways to help slow down the decay of that piece of meat. So first of all, I want you to see, we got to be really, really present. That means we got to be out in all parts of our lives, shining the light of Jesus. Jesus' time is not just Sunday morning, in other words. The calling of Jesus to follow him is not just for what we do in this room on Sunday morning. It's for every part of life. If we're not really engaged and present with our neighbors and our co-workers and our friends, how in the world are we ever going to be what Jesus has called us to be? Now, there, there's a few problems that keep us from this. Uh, one is we tend to huddle up with ourselves. This is, a, this is a very uniquely Christian problem. People who are Christians, they say, if you've been a Christian for five years or more, chances are almost everybody that you know and trust and love deeply is also a Christian. Like you, you don't have any more friends that you really spend time with who aren't Christians after about five years. Now, it's not wrong to have really deep friends with, with other Christians. Of course, I'm not speaking against that. What I am saying it can't happen is we can't huddle up to the exclusion of relationships with those who so desperately need the light. The church can't become all about itself. We can't just spend 2019 building wonderful programs that we want to be at here. Or making this service an awesome time that we love to come in and we're really comfortable here. No, we have to spend our time getting out. The church is not so much a place you go to as it is a people who go. <laughs> it's not so much a place you go to as it is a people who go. We cannot huddle up. We have to be present in the community. We have to have actual real life relationships. The other thing we tend to do is we tend to hide. Here's how that happens. It's also a uniquely Christian problem. We build a wall between our faith and our life. And when we're at church and when we're our Christian friends, we're on one side of the wall, and I'm perfectly comfortable being a Christian and saying I'm a Christian and, and really working on how to follow Jesus. But when I leave church and skip over to the other side of the wall, all those people aren't Christians. And yeah, they're my friends, they're my coworkers, but I'm hiding the fact that I'm a Christian. I really don't want them to know that. I really don't want Jesus to command me to do hard things around them because they might not like me. 
I really don't want Jesus to, to command me to say hard things to them because that would be really awkward and uncomfortable. And so we end up building this wall where we hide. Light can't function that way. That's actually like lighting a lamp and putting it under a basket. The third thing is not just a unique Christian problem. It is a people problem, and that is we get in a hurry. This is just simple, like life in the 21st century. Our, our, our eyes are always on our work, on our phones, on our entertainment, on social media. You know, we, we drive home from work, we open the garage door, we drive in, we close the door, we turn on Netflix. Well, if, if that's our life pattern, is that more like lighting a lamp and putting it on a stand? Or is that more like lighting it and just hiding it under a bowl? If we hide, if we huddle, if we hurry, there's no way we're going to get out and shine in the world. What Jesus is saying is all of our life has to become connected to the mission that God is saying that we have in him. That means we got to get an eye full of our community and our city as God sees it. I don't know if you've ever even thought about this, but have you ever asked God, God, help me to see my neighbors and coworkers like you see them? Help me to see Mulberry as you see Mulberry. Help me to see Polk County as you see it. Then we got to get our hearts full. Have you ever prayed this? God, what value do you place on that neighbor that annoys me? What value do you place on that coworker that I find it really hard to relate to? Could you fill my heart with your compassion and value for that person? And then we got to get our hands full. Lord, what would you have me do to serve them? What good deed or gesture... What kind word or, or gospel word would you have me speak to them so as to encourage them and point them towards the source of real hope that I have found by grace? The eyes, the, the heart, the hands, everything, not, not hidden away, not huddling up, not hurrying through life, but truly slowing down enough to be present with our neighbors and present with our coworkers. That's what Jesus is talking about. But he also says, we can't just be really present. We have to also be really different. Jesus said, if the salt has lost its saltiness, just throw it out and let people trample on it. Because it's not going to slow down the rot. It's not going to flavor anything. Well, th there's a couple of dangers here. You know, one of them is just straight. We are not different at all in any way. We just are like, you are like just someone who, who does not believe in Jesus. And of course, Jesus is saying that is absolutely worthless. It's going to do no one good. But I think there's actually a more subtle problem that Jesus would have us think about this morning. And that's this. We as Christians are really good at being surface different, but heart the same. Okay, I want you all to hear that. We're really good at being surface different, superficially different, but heart the same. Here's what I mean. We put the Jesus fish on the back of the car. We listen to Joy FM when someone else is around. We make sure we don't cuss when certain people are around, <laughs> right? We make sure that we make a big deal about I am saying grace before my meal so that people see that I am saying grace. Superficial differences while inside, here's what can happen. I can do all those things. I can vote the right way, say the right things, do all the right things that people expect Christians to do. But inside my heart is still just as selfish inside I'm, I'm not humble at all I'm, I'm arrogant i think too highly of myself inside when i see needs in the community around me i act like everybody else does i run the other way I, I drive into the garage door and i close it and i watch netflix because i don't want to get involved with the messiness 
of dealing with people who have needs. Well, guess what? The true Christian heart runs toward the sound of the gunfire, not away from it. Just like the well-trained soldier. When we see needs in our city, in our neighborhood, we don't run away. We don't hide ourselves. We run towards. But the problem is, is you and I have gotten into our minds. Being a Christian is these surface differences and not this really deep heart difference that God is actually looking for in our lives. The way Jesus said it in another place is this. He was talking to some of the most religious people of his day. They were called the Pharisees. And he says, y'all are like whitewashed tombs. And what did he mean? He painted tombstones is what he meant. Painted white. That, that is, the tombstone is beautiful on the outside. It shines when the light hits it. Oh, does it look so religious. But on the inside, it's just the same old death and the same old rottenness underneath. Jesus says, here's how you fix that. You open up the tomb to God. And you let the God who can raise the dead, raise the dead in you. And then when you get, you get it raised on the inside, when your heart is really, truly different, guess what? The outside is going to change in all the right ways. And people are actually going to look at you in a way that doesn't focus their attention on you. Oh, what a mighty religious person that is. But, but they will look at you and they will say, what a mighty God he must be. They'll look at us as a church and they won't say, hey, what an awesome church. They'll say, the father of that family must be a pretty awesome father. He must be a good father who cares for his children because look at how they really act. Y'all, this has always been the true power of the church in all ages and times. You know, nobody has ever seen a Jesus fish on the back of a car and slammed on the brakes, pulled over and invited God to take control of their lives because they were convicted by it. Nobody has ever said, oh, the joy FM, let me give my heart to Jesus. Nobody has done that. But you know what they've done? They've looked at Christians who were humble, who didn't think too highly of themselves. They looked at Christians who loved people even when it was sacrificial. They looked at Christians that were running to the sound of the gunfire rather than away from it. And they said, wait a minute, there must be something more to life than just the here and now. There must be something more to this. In the early church, uh, it was not popular at all to become a Christian. In fact, you could actually get killed by becoming a Christian. And yet people became Christians in droves. One writer during that time says this, Christians are from every race of men. They come from all races of the world, but yet it's like they're a whole new race. He says, it's like they're the soul of the world. They're in the world like the soul is in the body, but it's like they're the only part keeping it alive. <laughs> they're the part giving life to everything. And so it began to draw people's attention. And even though it might even cost them their lives to become a Christian, people became Christians because they saw deeds of love that were more noble than they could imagine. They saw, they saw this sacrificial kind of living. And you know, that's going on in the world right now. It may not be as strong in the American church right now, but it's really strong in other parts of the world. I, I, I'm reminded of the stories that are going on in China right now in the church. I don't know if you've kept up with that part of the news, but it's been all over. The Chinese government cracking down on, on churches and Christians. And, and this one pastor named Wang Yi, uh, you know, became famous because he wrote a letter an open letter that was published in China and in here in America after he and a hundred other members of his church were arrested after a Sunday morning service. And in that church, he describes how even in spite of government pressure, they will not quit worshiping. Even in spite of government pressure, they won't quit loving their neighbors. And here's, here's why he said that they do that. This is powerful. He says, all the acts of the church 
Everything the church does are attempts to prove to the world the real existence of another world. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you and I do uncommon things, not just superficial differences, but things that really go more than skin deep, changed from the inside out by the razor of the dead, people are going to look at us and their eyes are going to get picked up like you and I need to have our eyes picked up from the here and now. And we're going to look up and we're going to see the blinding light of the Father in heaven. It's going to actually prove to this world that believes that the only thing that matters is what you can see and touch and taste and experience. It's going to prove to them there's something that matters even more. There's a God you were made for, and when he thinks of you, he doesn't draw a blank. When he thinks of you, he doesn't shrug his shoulders and say, yeah, I can't help that one. When he thinks of you, he has a heart and mind full of plans and purposes planned from eternity that he is absolutely intent through his son to bring about into your life. And that leads us this morning to our third thing, the last thing. How in the world are we going to become this? Well, we have to pay clear attention again to what Jesus says. Remember, we don't want people to look at us and have it stop there and then say, what a wonderful person that is. What a great church that is. We want them to look at us and sort of trace the sunbeams back to the sun. Wonder, okay, where does the light and warmth of these people come from? Oh, it must come from somewhere beyond them. And they trace it all the way back to the blazing light of God himself. Jesus says in verse 16, if you'll look at that again, that that's exactly what he has designed salt and light for. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think, man, that on first reading, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, it says they will see your good deeds and then they will glorify God in heaven. I mean, what doesn't, I mean, are you catching me? What doesn't seem to follow there? Your good deeds and yet somebody else gets the credit for it. I mean, all of us are like this. When we do something good, we want the credit, right? At work, when you do something and your coworker gets the credit and you don't, you're mad. When your boss steals the credit and doesn't share it with you, you're even more mad. And yet here, Jesus is not contradicting that, but he's telling us actually something extremely deep and profound that everybody in the room needs to hear. And that's the reason why people look at our good deeds and glorify God is because really at the end of the day, they're not our good deeds. <laughs> that actually we've got it twisted because every good, truly good thing that we do from a heart that's been transformed is actually the result of God working into us what now is coming out of us. It's God coming deeply into our hearts and changing us from the inside out. He says this is going to be so obvious, even to people who are on the outside of the Christian faith, how much more should it be obvious to us who are on the inside? In other words, if people see us and they know it ain't us, it's got to be God, like they can see past our weakness, shouldn't we also see past our weakness? And shouldn't we this morning as we're looking at 2019, as we're thinking about God's picture for what he wants to do in our lives, shouldn't we look to him to be the source of the change, the source of the strength? Shouldn't coming under his leadership be our strategy number one for becoming salt and light in our city? I don't know about you, but this is really good news to me because I realize there are some of you who may be here, and again, you say, I'm not really a believer, but I've tried it before and it didn't work. That's a really common thing. I tried it before and it didn't work. 
There may be others of you who are here and you say, I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I'll tell you what, I don't know how long I can keep this up. I'm not sure how far I'm going to get, how many more steps I have in me in following Jesus. I want to say to you on either side, I'm with you. I've felt both. I've thought both. There's been plenty of times I've tried in following Jesus and have miserably failed. And there's been a lot of times I've thought, man, I don't know how, how I'm going to keep going on this. I'll be honest, even thinking about being salt and light and all the things that God might call us to do in, in our town, it just exhausts me sometimes to even think about it. And so it's really good news, isn't it, to hear from Jesus, you're thinking about it wrong. If you're thinking you're going to make a difference because you're such a special person. And I'm going to make a difference. And this church is going to make a difference because we're just so different than everybody else. We're just a little bit better than everybody else. We have it all wrong. No, but if we come to God and think, Lord, if we get you by grace as our heavenly father, if we come to understand all the power of the cross of Jesus for our hearts, and it begins to change our heart, then... Not by our strength, but by the power of God working in us, our lives will begin to look differently. The result won't be, look how great they are. The result will be, oh, what a mighty cross that must be. Now, you might also say, well, wait a minute. I've thought about the cross a million times, Stan. I became a Christian a long time ago, and it didn't work. And I'm saying, I'm not talking about becoming a Christian, and I'm not talking about thinking about the cross one time. Those are wonderful things. I'm talking about thinking and knowing and embracing the cross every single day of your life. I'm talking about not just becoming a Christian. I'm talking about staying one. I'm talking about growing as one. You got to look at the cross. Let me give you some examples. God in the cross says this. I loved you so much that I gave my son to die for you. What does that mean? God had to die for me. How in the world... Am I going to look down on anybody, any of my neighbors, any of my coworkers, any of my friends, if I know I'm so bad that for me to be saved, the God of the universe had to die for me? Is there anybody in the world lower than me? I don't believe so. Only the cross can help you really truly believe that in your heart. Not just one glance at it, but a constant staring throughout your life at, oh, he had to die for me. But the cross also says, God loved you so much that he died for you. Meaning, he willingly did it. It was his plan. He wanted to do it. He wanted to give his life for you. That's how much he loved you. That's how committed he is to you now. As one other Bible passage says, if God didn't spare his son, but gave his son up for us, then what's he going to withhold that's really good? Well, when is he going to bail on you? The cross teaches us actually that once God adopts you, he doesn't unadopt you. <laughs> Once God gives you a new birth in your heart and resurrects you, he doesn't unresurrect you the next week when you mess up. God is consistently in the game for you. Why? Because he loves you that much simply because he loved you, not because you deserved it. Well, the cross says a third thing. It says God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Therefore, he died for you so that you would not have to belong to yourself anymore. But so that you might now belong to the one who paid for you. How in the world, if that's true, how can I do this with my life and hang on to control and want very to, to, to scheme in all different ways to keep myself comfortable and happy and get everything I want no matter what it takes if I know he died so that I might not belong to myself anymore. It begins to do this, to open up my hands 
That's how somebody is able to run to the sound of gunfire. Like a good soldier, they've come to, to value their country more than they value their life. Well, the cross can cause you to value your God and can cause you to value those who are made in God's image so that you will not hang on to your life, but freely part with it and freely part with your comfort so that you can see them do good. In other words, this morning, y'all, if we're going to see any of this happen, if we're going to see salt and light really begin to, to, to organically begin to grow up here at Greater Hope and spread throughout our city through us, we are going to have to first get around daily the one who is really salt and really light. We're going to have to get with Jesus. When you're on the airplane and they, they give you that speech at the beginning about safety that nobody listens to, and they say when the cabin pressure goes out and the, the oxygen mask comes down, it says, if you have a small child with you, secure your own oxygen mask first and then help your child secure theirs. And when you first hear it, you're like, wait a minute, that's pretty cruel. That's pretty cold. Like, that's, that's, that's looking out for number one, like ultimately right there. But then you think about it for a few more seconds. and You're like, oh, yeah, if I can't breathe, how can I help somebody else breathe? And Jesus is saying, don't even go out of this room thinking, change the world, change the world, unless you're changed. Let's come to Jesus this morning and ask him to do it. Father, we thank you for your grace today. Lord, such mercy that you would call people like us. Lord, I know for, for, for me, um, and, I, and I believe I speak for many in the room today, uh, we're not worthy of being, I'm not worthy of being a member of your family. I'm not worthy of being sent out on any kind of mission from you. But Lord, I thank you that you love us just because you love us. Just because you wanted to, just because you're that good. Thank you for sending your son. Lord, I pray this morning that all across this room and across our whole church, across our town, Lord, you would begin to spread the humility that comes from seeing the cross the self-giving love that comes from it, the true courage to run right to the danger that comes from knowing that we belong to the God of the universe who holds all things in his hand and who will never, ever let us go. Father, please give us that assurance this morning, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.